Well, good morning, kids. Well, we get to spend the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour or more, if, if people, because we have the two shifts, we try and just allow people that if you've got the purple lanyards and have to go pick up kids, you can leave and don't feel, don't feel like you're obnoxious by getting up in the middle of it. We'll, we'll, I'll excuse you. And then the rest of you are welcome to stay as long as you want. Um, and what I, what I would say is um, this, this next hour will be, in many ways, a tough hour. It'll be tough for me, and I've taught this all over the summer. But it's, the focus is on grief, navigating your own grief, navigating other people's, coming alongside them, what that looks like to be um, somebody that becomes welcome in other people's lives to hear their stories as well. This is understand we cannot, uh, I mean, surviving and thriving through these extraordinary types of losses, whether it's a loss of a loved one, uh, a death, or loss of so many other different things that we'll talk about, including jobs, COVID-related, on and on and on. It's all about navigating grief and uh, what we can and shouldn't do in the midst of it. But it's so complex that this is kind of the 30,000-foot overview of it, and this is going to be a time we'll have at the end for Q&A, as well as, as if you've got a, something to say or question at all, feel free to, to raise your hands. Um, some of you um, know my backstory, others may not, but... August uh, 16th coming up will be 18 years since my, uh, my wife Terry passed away from breast cancer after fighting a battle for three and a half years. What most of you uh, don't know, but you may have known of her, is my daughter Sarah, who was known as Smalls around here for five summers that she worked on camp. Um, can I interrupt for one second? This is Mount Hermon calling me, and usually that's important. Hello, this is Dave. Oh, can I call you back, sweetie? I'm in the middle of a teaching the session. All right, bye-bye. It's my daughter, Katrina, who's here from Finland, who's working in the registration department all this summer. Anyway, um, make a long story short, my daughter, Sarah, who's married to a pastor in the East Bay, about an hour from here, and uh, I've got two grandkids, and um, she went home to be with the Lord December 28th, a year ago, a year and a half ago now, after fighting. Uh, she had a, uh, a rare condition called lymphangiomatosis. When she passed away, there was only 23 cases in the world being treated. And it came back to bite her in the midst of COVID. So it was really hard because part of our grieving process is we weren't allowed to see our daughter uh, because of COVID protocol to be able to go into the hospitals. Neither was her husband, Charlie, really until the very end. And um, we, got a, we got a call at December 28th at 3 in the morning. And I just turned to Leslie and said, oh, crap, here it is. And sure enough, it was uh, my son-in-law just saying, hey, the hospital just called and said that I can come in um, and that she's not going to make it through the morning, just that her internal organs were failing. She's cognitive and aware of things. but And we had watched her battle this for a long, long time. 
And uh, so I asked Charlie, I said, look, it, I won't be able to live with myself unless I ask this question, can, can Leslie and I come to the hospital? Will they even let us in? He says, I don't know. I'll call the doctor. And so he called back about 10 minutes later and said, look, it, I cannot find a, daughter, a doctor, but I've got to tell you a story. And what, what I'm going to couch a lot of this stuff is with is grief. There's a balance point. There's a pendulum swing. And if you can find a balance to it, grief combined with gratitude is huge. It's just so vitally important. And so here we are in the depth of grief, and we know that we're going for my daughter's last few hours of life, and we're actually going to be there and watch her pass. And uh, so we got up there, and uh, Charlie had called back and just said, look, you gotta, you got to understand something, Dave. This is incredible. As hard as this is, I talked to the nurse, and the nurse says, you don't know this, but your wife led me to Christ in the last 16 days while I cared for her. Even though Sarah was intubated, she had a grease board and was very well cognitive and had all her mobility. And she led this woman to Christ uh, because the, the nurse had been her nurse, critical care nurse, for 16 days. And so the nurse said, you tell your family to get here. I don't care what the protocol is. I'm letting them in. So we got to spend the last three hours with my daughter. And um, when she finally passed, um, the, the nurse, for one, just fell apart. And I looked at Charlie, my son-in-law, and he had this big grin on his face. And I'm going, Charlie? And he says, well, think about it. Your daughter, my wife, is at home having an incredible reunion with her mom, for one thing, and an incredible reunion with the Lord that she's just so loved and so devoted her life to. And, you know, and he said, well, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I mean, look at the body that she's been suffering with for this amount of time. And we knew that ultimately this day could come, and therefore... I miss my wife right now, but I'm ready to release her into the hands of the Lord, knowing that she's, we're going to see her again. If, we, if our understanding of the Bible is true and the glimpse and the reality of heaven, we're going to see her again. As hard as these things are going to be and as hard as it is to be able to have to go through the whole grief process. And um, so that's what we've been navigating grief in this recent last 16 months is that whole process of finding a new norm in the midst of something you never really, I mean, no parent ever anticipates outliving their child, for one thing. And so it's been, for us, finding a new norm. All the trigger points that come up. People at family camp who come up to me who know what took place and just said, you have to understand the impact of your daughters in my life or in my kid's life as a camp counselor. And she led conferences here. She was an anointed worship leader. And, uh, and then it's the other side, and it happens every week. Something will be a trigger point that will just bring you right back into the midst of your grief. And a lot of it is people will come up to me and have not a clue, and they'll just go, hey, how's Sarah and Charlie doing? We want to come back for another couple's retreat where they lead worship so often. And then you have to retell the story, relive uh, the whole thing, and then you're actually coming alongside them as they are losing it and crying in, in the midst of the whole thing.
So with all that said, um, there's, there's a lot of gratitude there. When my first wife passed away, Terry had an incredible sense of humor, and uh, she fought it for three and a half years, and so we knew, and we saw where the timing was going, and the doctors had told us. So we had uh, gathered as a family, and in the last couple weeks of her life, Terry took the kids aside, I've got three biological kids, and said, look it. I want dad to remarry. Do not get in the way of that process. I want him to be able to love again. She gave the kids the knowledge, the freedom to say, allow dad to do it, and at the same time released me to be able to not harbor guilt or you know those types of things if I was sometime falling in love with somebody else. So Terry died on August 16th. The year after her death on August 16th was a Tuesday morning here, and I was already contracted to be here leading a week of family camp worship and teaching some seminars, and with uh, Luis Palau, who became a very, very close friend of our family who's gone home to be with the Lord now. So my daughter comes to me this Sunday, like you guys all got here on Sunday, and says, Dad, as hard as it is because it's the anniversary of Mom's home going, there's a woman I want you to meet at Mount Hermon. And I looked at her, and I said, sweetheart, God just hasn't stirred my heart that way. I'm just really not interested. So she grabbed me, um, all four foot eight and a half of her, because the disease had shut down her growth plates early. By the way, she married a guy six foot six. Go figure. First dance on, for their wedding, he's on his knees dancing with her. So she says, I want you to, her name is Leslie, I want you to meet her, date her, and marry her dad, just like that. Now, as a pastor, I look back at that and go, oh my gosh, I've got to ask her some questions because normally a daughter would never come to you a year after her mom passes away. And Terry and I had an incredible marriage uh, for nearly 27 years. So I said, what's her backstory? What's the deal? And she said, well, she's been a mentor in my life, just like mom has. And uh, she went through a horrendous divorce. Mount Hermon, she worked here for 10 years. Mount Hermon came to her rescue, changed locks on her doors. And, and I've had the opportunity to work for her for five summers. And so she's been raising her, her kids as a single mom for a lot of years. So obviously, my logical question was, kids, how many? So Sarah wouldn't say the word. She just looked at me and went. <laughs> I said, five kids? Okay. Your youngest brother's 19, starting his second year at Azusa. How old's her youngest? And she goes, 11. Is dad in the picture? No. And I said, so the logical conclusion is you want me to meet, date, and marry a woman I've never met yet, and then raise a family again? And she says, no, God does, dad. So she pulls the God card on me. So in the midst of my grief and navigating a new life, being a single man all alone in a house down in San Clemente where I was pastoring, it was my daughter that turned something into new. And there's, there's one thing I, 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 I was left with after reading some books on grief and it was from a woman, I don't remember the title of the book, I actually got it out of this bookstore here. Um, 
And she had lost her husband in a plane crash, and he had been in full-time ministry. I think he was based out of Colorado Springs. But she said this one phrase that has always stuck with me, and I'll leave it with you. The God of the good old days can be trusted to be the God of the good new days, if you let him. And the idea is that I don't know your stories yet, but for so many of us and so many people I have seen and counseled over the years, they cling to, whether it's a divorce that you didn't want to go through, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's a wayward kid that you're just praying diligently to come back into the fold, we tend to grip our hands tightly and cling on to what was, what we had before, wishing we still could have it instead of opening our hands to what maybe God has in store for us in the next chapter, because one chapter does not make a book. And I, I really, that really, really helped me. I have to admit, I changed my life first, because when I, still to this day, I worship the sovereign God who I love with all my heart and soul. Do I fully understand him? By no means. You know, it's Isaiah 55, 8, that your ways are not my ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts, declares the Lord. And I, I learned to live by that and trust in that scripture, that God is all-knowing, and I can fully trust him. And that the God of the good old days can be trusted to be the God of the new day, good new days, so I let him. Does that make sense? Um. All right, so part of this is, what is it to come alongside other people who are in grief, including yourself? Grief is not only related to death, remember that. It's, it's really any loss. Uh, I, you know, you, you've heard me talk about it Tuesday morning, but I run a large military ministry here and have run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families over the years. Oftentimes, I'm getting counseling modes with them, and it's so oftentimes somebody's coming back from overseas with all that they've seen that we will never navigate. And they're living with post-traumatic stress disorder. Sometimes it's with traumatic brain injury. Sometimes it's the loss of a limb. Uh, oftentimes it's suicidal tendencies of all that they've been through. And you have a family that's going through the grief, not of the loss of their loved one by death, but there are certain things maybe that person can no longer do. Uh, no longer say or love in the same way as they're navigating trying to get through their own grief through post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever it may be. Um, there's any loss. There's loss of relationships, um, loss of physical abilities. Um, can't tell you how many times, particularly at my age, I have friends of mine that are that are having strokes and losing mobility, and all of a sudden it loses... It causes a loss of their source of income, all those sorts of things. Those are grieving process. Um, so you've got expectations of what would have been. Um, identity. My wife deals a lot with, she's a guidance counselor for a local high school. And in these last 10 years, and you know so much, you've heard so much about it, but there's identity crisis for youth, and part of it's peer group oriented and on and on, whether it's, issues of transvestite, whether it's issues of sexual identity, things such as that. What they're finding is that a lot of these kids become very depressed because they're actually going through a grieving process of trying to find themselves in the midst of it, uh, or what other people say that they should be, those sorts of things. Um, 
careers, innocence, significance, on and on and on. So grief, is, my point is this, grief is not just related to death. And when people are going through these things, they're trying to find a new norm for themselves in the midst of it. And grieving, uh, grieving pe people will experience anger, um, guilt and blaming, particularly if you're coming, say, out of a, a divorce relationship, what could I have done different? Uh, for me, I know that it was, gosh, if we had discovered this only sooner when, when my, my wife was des you know, diagnosed with cancer, or what could we have done differently, or what shouldn't she have done before she got this disease? So there's sadness, there's confusion, there's shock, and there's an intense emotion that goes along with this grieving process. Um, and grieving is just an intensely personal, and it's a very unique journey. There's really no right way to do it. Um, there's no set time limit for a grieving person to plan or expect. Let me tell you a story. Avoiding grief can be physically, emotionally, or spiritually destructive. And ways people avoid doing grief work, including stuffing. Um, my son, Josh, who is now engaged to be married, he's 34 years old. Um, he stuffed the grief of his mom for the longest time. And Leslie and I, my, my wife that I've been married to now for 16 years, uh, she's got a degree in counseling as well. But we looked at Josh's life and just thought, this boy has never deeply grieved the loss of his mom. So um, eight years ago, ten years after Terry passed, I get a call from my son. He's engaged to another young woman at the time who we just loved dearly. And Josh calls me and he says, Dad, and he's just, He's just wailing in tears. I am curled up on the floor in a fetal position. I have no idea what's going on. I cannot control my body. I need help. And um, so I said, can you get up here? You want us to come get you. He was living in Southern California. So he got up here. And um, I called two friends of ours that are a married couple that are Christian psychotherapists. And I said, look, it, here's our assumption, Leslie's of mine, that this could be really grief-related to Terry's passing that he's never processed. Well, my son Josh worked through some different things, um, guilt and blame. Um, when Terry passed, he said, uh, he said, Dad, I felt like I just wasn't there all the time for Mom at the end. And I looked at him, I said, we so hope that you wouldn't be. You were out spending time with your friends. We didn't want you just set there for every moment while mom's body is fading away. We wanted you to enjoy, and guess what? That brought us life. Oftentimes, you brought your friends back to the house. That brought great joy and life to mom. So you may not have realized that, but you need to understand that, that you're blaming yourself for something that we were so excited and happy for at the time. And ultimately, uh, he got into grief counseling with this couple, um, and they were able just to share with me, and because um, and, Josh gave him permission to share everything. And they called me one day and just said, Josh is in the midst of having stuffed this grief for so long 
that we want to recommend that he go see a friend of ours who's a Christian psychiatrist because he can prescribe a very, very low dose of a med that will help even him out so that he can even understand, accept, and move forward with the counseling that we're giving him because his grief is so deep. Well, he's come out full swing, and that was just so healthy for him. I'm telling you that because you may know people, you may have gone through it yourself, but you may know others that need that type of deep grief counseling because they have been uh, stuffing things for so long uh, or going through these different different things um, of replacing, distracting, ending up with compulsive behaviors. We see addictions take place post um, loss of a loved one or loss of a job or whatever it might be. Fantasizing, sleeping, isolating, complaining. These are some of the signs of it. Um, I'm talking fast. This is a fire hose because I want there to be plenty of time left over for Q&A before I have to dismiss you. So you've heard that there are stages of grief and what, what you may know, what you may not know is that they're really not sequential or linear. Um, you may skip some of the the key components of stages of grief, or you could repeat some of them over and over and over again. Um, there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, there's depression. Oh, I'll slow down. I see some people taking notes. There's denial, there's hiding from the facts, blocking the words, blocking the reality of it. There's depression with sadness and regret, having a hard time saying goodbye to someone or something. Maybe it's a job that you've been a career path in for so long that you've lost. We've seen a lot of that during uh, the last couple of years of COVID. Uh, whether it's um, anger, uh, which could be directed. I see some folks that actually direct their anger at at a dying relative, that type of thing, um, or at friends, or at doctors who treated or mistreated a patient. There's bargaining. It's one of the stages of grief. If only, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but if only I had done this or could have done this, uh, or Lord, uh, if you'll get us a second opinion, she's going to be, oh, fine, be fine. I just... I'll change my pattern of life. You know, all these kinds of things that go through our minds when, when we're facing the reality of potentially an upcoming grieving process. You're bargaining with God. One of the key things, and I was thinking about this uh, yesterday as Chad was taking us through the Lord's Prayer and his focus on forgiveness. Even though it's not listed as one of the st grief stages, I think forgiveness is such a valuable tool in the midst of it. I watch people absorbed in grief over a past marriage that was lost. Even they're carrying that baggage even into a new marriage. Uh, or um, for, for not for being willing to forgive themselves in the midst of what did I do that caused this? Or what could I have, how could I have been a better spouse with my, with my wife or husband in the midst of this? And, and, and Chad said it so well, there's a phrase I use, and he just paraphrased it a different way, but forgiveness is setting a captive free from bondage and then recognizing that you're the captive. 
And it's, it's placing something at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, you love me, and I just want to put this here because I don't want to just be in this pattern of recycling this over and over and over again in my life. Um, any questions at all? Slow me down if you like. Okay. Um, there's a phrase I read that when reaching out to a person who is grieving, doing or saying something is more important than what you do or say. In other words, unless you're just being stupid and say some idiotic remark, but otherwise, it's just being present, being there for them, being with them, coming alongside, listening. We're going to talk about in a moment or two what active listening really looks like. And practical help is probably the most valued thing when it's possible. This is really uh, your gift of time, say, if you're coming alongside somebody else who's grieving. Um, it allows them space and freedom to do their work of grief and be with other loved ones if you're helping to come alongside them. And you don't have to wait to be asked. Just do it. I mean, because guess what? When I lost Terry, my kids were out of the house. Josh would come home from school on the weekend, but the other two, one lived in Hawaii, one lived, Sarah lived up here in Northern California. But guess what? The housework went on, yard work went on, laundry, financial issues, uh, pet care, all those kinds of things, cooking meals. And I thought, this sucks. And, uh, but somebody at church arranged to have people uh, come and do stuff like that, including making meals that were just such a gift to me. Um, uh, and, you know, it's whatever you guys do routinely, routinely, it's a need for anybody that you're coming alongside as well. And that can be just a great gift to them. And one of the most valuable gifts can be prayer. And I mean this sincerely. When Terry died, now when Sarah died, um, I have boxes of cards from people that I have never thrown out that I have. People took the time to write a note, put a stamp on an envelope, and cared enough about me just to say, I'm praying for you, I'm praying with you, I'm praying for your family, extended family. And sometimes they would even say specifically, here's what I'm praying for in the midst of this journey. And sometimes they would say, you know well, me well enough to contact me if you have a really... Uh, a, a prayer request that you'd like me to be praying for. And that was a great gift to me. That just said, gosh, Dave, we care about you, and we want to help, help you navigate this whole grief process. And it's, uh, so it's something that you can really do for others. Um, with that said, here are some things not to do. I read this in a book, and it said, don't jump friendship levels. And I thought, wow, that's really factual. That's true, because it was been true for me, for somebody that's uh, even I think about coming alongside while they're going through a process. They may be an acquaintance. They may be an acquaintance of mine, but not really a friend. And 
And this book talked about what it is to jump friendships, which are an unhealthy activity to do when you're working with another person who's grieving. And uh, for me, because I was so visible, because I was on the church platform week in and week out for years, that where many people thought that they knew me well, but they really didn't. And I really wanted to hang with my close friends who knew and loved me and Terry as a couple and knew me individually instead of people that just wanted to be there for me and they didn't realize and maybe they weren't trying to jump friendship levels they just wanted to help but to get in deep conversations with those people were just not what I wanted to do at the time that's all there was to it um, what I really wanted was somebody to drop a meal off at the front door knock and leave and then I could pick it up and sit down and have it Uh, don't use cliches or platitude. Don't say things that smack of bad theology uh, because there's good theology sometimes that you don't even want to hear. I, I mean, I didn't want to hear Romans 8.28. No, I did not want to hear that. Was it meant for good? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and I knew the Lord would turn it around at some point. But it was not, in my depth of grieving at the time, it's not what I wanted to hear. I just wanted someone to sit with me and really listen to my story. Uh, uh, don't minimize. I mean, one of, the, one of the worst things I've ever heard coming from people, and it was repeated, it was, well, it was meant to be. Really? Maybe you think that way, but in my life right now, it sucks. And it wasn't, you know, so you'll get that, those kinds of things. All right. One of the most important things you can do is listen. You can listen to yourself. One of the hardest things a lot of grieving people don't do is give themselves permission to grieve and just say, it's okay. I have a, a friend um, who lost his wife a year ago, and they had been married <coughs> for over 50 years. And I went to the memorial service and then got a chance to go up and just hug him afterwards. And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, look, at the only thing I'm going to say to you is what I learned. Embrace the grief. Don't try and minimize it. Don't try and push it away. If you feel led toward tears, cry. If something triggers a memory, focus on it. Don't try and push it aside. Just embrace the grief because it's part of the process of getting through this whole thing that the Lord allows us to go through. And my son Josh was just a prime example. You push that stuff, it, it comes back to bite you at some point in time. It does a job on you physically and mentally. Um, listening to this story is so important. And it's not passive listening. It's active listening. Let me give you a definition. Active listening is the part, is the art of being fully present and engaging in deliberate listening. Let me repeat that. Active listening is the art of being fully present and engaging in deliberate listening that allows the person to know that you are both hearing and understanding both the content of their speech and the emotion that's attached to their speech. Okay? This is not just hard. It's extremely hard for most of us. 
and a lot of us are just terrible at it. Um, it's something you really got to practice and think through, and how will I respond, how won't I respond when I'm listening? Many people think that they're good listeners, but uh, they're really just good at what they call parallel mon monologues. <laughs> that is, they listen enough to enough content or feeling to tell, start telling about their own content and feeling. And guess what? Most people don't want to hear that while they're expressing their story. It may be easy for us to say because we're not sure what to say. And therefore, oh, and an active listener doesn't sit there and listen and then think, well, as they're talking, here's what I'm going to respond. Here's what I'm going to actively say to them. That's not active listening. That's thinking, what can I say uh, in response to what they're sharing? Their intent's good, but the result is not to really draw out the person and treasure their story, uh, but really to miss the opportunity to communicate care to that person just by being an active listener. Does that make sense? And it's a skill that just got to be practiced. And here are some simple steps. Um, pay attention. Look directly at them. Put aside distracting thoughts. And as I just said, don't think about what you want to say next or your own experiences. Pay attention to their body language. And please, turn off your cell phone. Just stuff it in your purse or in your pocket. Uh, you do not want that to be a distraction because that will say to the other, like what I just did to you guys, unless it's Mount Hermon, and, and typically it's a very important call, Dave, you've got to respond to, you know, that sort of thing. Otherwise, there's no way I would respond to a phone call coming in or a text message. Um, show that you are listening. Use your own body language and gestures to convey your attention, not occasionally, and have facial expressions back to them. Um, Note your posture and make sure that it's open and inviting, that they don't feel closed off from you, just the way that you're handling any of this. And encourage the speaker to continue with comments like, yes, uh-huh, uh, go on, I think I understand. You're also welcome to provide feedback and reflect back on what a person is saying by paraphrasing. Uh, what I'm hearing is, and it sounds like you're saying this, am I, am I correct in understanding that? And they'll be open and just say yes or, well, here's what I really meant. Um, it takes a lot of concentration when you're doing active lifting. Just, and I've learned that over years just of counseling people that I really have to be so attentive to what they're saying. Uh, you're not just, you know, parrot phrasing what, what they've said. So these are some of the tools. Uh, again, I told you it'd be a 30,000 ele foot elevation. These are some of the tools uh, that I've learned over the years. Um, you'll, you'll find a lot of this information in what, whether your church offers, you know, grief care, grief share, those kinds of things as well. Um, and again, it's not just about death. It's so many different things that, that we travel. Um, it's been interesting over the weeks um, we've had so many different things come up. I, two weeks ago, I had a 38-year-old that was sitting back here with his wife, and he got up to share, and he was just stuttering profusely, 
and uh, he says, I don't normally stutter, but I have a inoperable brain tumor that unless God chooses to do a miraculous healing, I will be dead within the next year. And he says, we have two kids. And uh, so he even asked about, what does that look like? How do we express that to our kids? How do we come along our kids to not scare them? And so we even talked about opportunities. You know, one of the joys that I had, and as I talked earlier, is that um, Terry had such a sense of humor that she would sit down with my kids and say, look it, I want dad to remarry. And then, and then she gave him an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. He says, but this is his do not date list. These are the women I don't want him to date. <laughs> Honestly. But, and then she wrote letters and cards to our kids of the idea that okay, I know I'm going to pass, honey, so I want to I wanna send letters to them, and this will be part of me leaving my legacy to my children. I want, I want birthday cards for next year, graduation card for Josh when he graduates from college, things like that. Those meant the world to my kids. It was an active way of, of mom being alive in their lives continually and then leaving a legacy in their life. You know, that they would just cherish. So, you know, ultimately we had this guy come up and we laid hands on him and prayed over him. And there was just so many different things that different people were going through. Which just made me realize over the course of this, I'll be honest with you. We, we are so slender on seminar teachers this summer that I just put myself in there. Thinking, all right, we'll get through week one and I'll be done. And then all of a sudden so much started happening in these that I just thought, okay, Lord. Uh, you've opened up a, a door that you've opened up very widely. So, so uh, we're nearing a quarter to twelve. So I want to leave this open for Q and A, um, whether it's sharing of a story or yes. The answer is uh, yes and no, because if you're going to ask me for titles, I probably should have put some of that together. Um, Grief Share has a lot of good small pamphlets out that they give you periodically as you're going through your process. Um, Jeremy Bentley, who most of you have seen on the platform, his wife, Sarah, uh, kind of runs that program at our church, Twin Lakes. So in the loss of Sarah, my daughter, she would she would mail us a book once a month to go through. There was great stuff in there. If you go in the bookshop, you're going to find all kinds of different books on, on grief and loss and what that looks like. And again, it won't just be for death, of, for death, that type of grieving of a loss, but it can be for many other things and how to navigate those things. Uh, well, if somebody has a loss in, in their family, like if it is loss of a spouse or loss of a child, um, a lot of churches will offer a program that allows you to come with other people uh, and somebody will be teaching you to walk through the grief process from a biblical standpoint. Um, and so, so they'll just, right after another, go through these different different programs and uh, and there's yeah yeah yep 
you'll find it in the area no matter what. I, for me, reading through their stuff and hearing, you know, a lot of it is hearing your stories, hearing other people's stories, because honestly, I prepped really well in my own mind and heart for losing my wife. But when it, let me give you for instance, when my dad passed away, I'm a Jewish believer, and when my dad passed away, um, we had a great relationship. And I had prepped for his death and to do the, to be there at the, do the memorial service and be there at the graveside. Well, the oldest son, which is me, the tradition is, is you throw the first shovel full of dirt on the casket. I lost it. I mean, lost it that I couldn't control. It's like my son describing being in a fetal position on the floor crying. My, it was although it was almost as if all the crying was coming from my gut and was so overwhelming. I think it scared my kids because they were there for their grandfather. But, and I had no idea how powerful. What I learned from that experience was I need to understand the grieving, the depth of grieving that people can go through because it just sideswiped me when it took place. Um, same thing happened with, with my loss of my wife, with Terry. And then obviously with Sarah, it was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's just, I'm surprised I haven't started crying in front of you because every week it typically happens and the tears start flowing because she meant the world to me. And it's just, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks after she passed, I just thought to myself, there will be no one ever again in my life that will call me daddy. You know, it just, it just overwhelmed me. And and we had the opportunity, and hearing certain songs that we're singing just slays me because they're songs that Sarah led right here at Mount Hermon or at her church, and so those kinds of things. So what I've learned from even the, the grief share process is you're hearing other people's stories, and they help they help you navigate your own loss. So I think that's a key thing. Yes. Those are those parallel stories that I was talking about in active listening that you don't do. Those are the stories that you don't. It's not that you don't want to hear them at some point in time, but it's like people will come up to me now and they're almost gun shy about saying anything. And I'm, I'll stop them and I'll go, it's okay. Ask anything, share any story. I now have, and here's where the key is, I now have the bandwidth to really talk about it where I didn't in those first few months. Yes? See, what that is, is you've all heard, did you ever hear what he said? Yeah, so that's what I call the spiritual gift of discouragement. <laughs> Not encouragement. Well, people are doing that to try to get 
Absolutely. No, they mean well. And that's why I think learning in these kinds of things, particularly what to say or what not to say, are so valuable and so important. Because you don't want to push someone off. You want to really engage them, and they know that you really care about them. And uh, so, others. Yes. That's such a valuable point. Um, did you, you all, all hear that? Okay, I'm going to put you on mic. No, just do it. It's okay. It's a valuable point. Um, I was saying when I have others that are going through grief is that everybody wants help right away. Everybody wants to be right there for you. And, you know, it's the next two months, the next three months, the next six months when you're really feeling like I have this loss. This is not coming back what do I do now? And I think it's more encouraging, not more encouraging, but helpful to think more long-term than just the short-term, the first two weeks or three weeks. Because it's, it's a long-term thing. It doesn't just go away in three months, six months. It's one of the things I actually counsel with, uh, particularly guys that I know that have gone through loss of a spouse. Um, because you do, you get flooded with a, just a whole number of people, and then two months down the line, it's like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm trying to navigate life as a new norm. Where, what happened to everybody? You know, for me, uh, as with kids being gone, I learned a lesson really early on, and, I, and I've always been encouraged never to do this to other people, is that... So many people knew me as part of me and Terry. So we were a couple. So we would go out to dinner. We would have Bible studies with, that sort of thing. Other couples who became very close to us. It wasn't long after Terry died that I realized I've become a third wheel. And it was really hard. Because there were people I loved, but I realized... It was just awkward for them to invite me into this circle knowing that I'm the single guy and Terry's not with me. It's not that they valued one or the other of us over, but it was just third wheel type of thing. I would just encourage you to, if you know people in that situation, continue to reach out. Because that was a hard thing for me as I was trying to navigate my own norm. Sure. Maybe your during your hard times and your loss, what was the most um, encouraging verse or in the Bible that kind of carried you through? Well, you hear it so often at a, uh, at a memorial service. But I told you what my, life, my new life verse became, which is Isaiah 55, 8. Because it allowed me to rest in the Lord that, yes, his ways are not my ways. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I fully trust. So I moved forward in my life with that. But Psalm 23 is just such a powerful psalm. And if you, any of you know the first three words of the psalm? The first three words. Just say it. The Lord is. I mean, if you just reflect upon those three words and embrace the fact that the Lord is, 
He's everything. Um, that really became a powerful scripture for me because the Lord is. He is everything. He is my savior. He is my father. He is my friend. Uh, he is my comfort in the midst of all this. Um, he is my shepherd, my good shepherd. So I, I had to rest in that. I want to read to you, and I know the, the scripture pretty well, very well, actually. It's the last thing I ever read to my wife before she passed. And part of the reason I'm saying this is because you're talking about verses that help us. I was so focused on what can I help Terry do just to go home to be with the Lord and I'll give her permission to pass instead of fighting for us. Because I was watching her last few weeks of life were just so tough of, of everything that was failing in her body. And so uh, two nights before Terry passed, I said, honey, can I read you a scripture? And she said, no. And I said, well, I'm going to read it anyway. And it's, it's, Paul's, it's Paul in, in, the second, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and you're all going to know it. Uh, let me see where. Therefore, I just said these words right to her. Therefore, reading it to her. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Key words for my wife were these words. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, which was us as her husband and kids, but on what is unseen. That was her Lord and Savior, Jesus. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. And I said, I said, Terry, you love your Lord with such a passion. She says, but I'm fighting to stay alive for you guys. And I said, don't. We'll get to see you again. That's all, but uh, uh, just abandon yourself to the love relationship that you have with your God. And we, we all know the outcome of this. So you need to know that we as a family are giving you the freedom to go home. It was a huge release to her. So my son came in next day and never forget it. Terry just looked at him and says, Ryan, I think I'll go home tomorrow morning. And at 6.36 the next morning, she passed away. So... Thank you. 
Active and alive, yeah. You did the same thing? Yeah. Oh, this is your What? Oh, I didn't know that part. Oh. Others, I see tears. I always wonder, what are you here for? Why are you here? Otherwise, I'll dismiss you. Yeah. Last chance? Anybody? What can I pray for us? Father, um, you are the giver of life, Lord. The people that sit in this room have a personal relationship with you, the Father, through your Son, Jesus. And the most amazing thing is that we were worth a son to you. Um, You had to watch what he went through and the suffering that he endured on our behalf. And Lord... We have lost loved ones. We have lost uh, jobs. We have lost relationships. We've lost marriages, whatever it might be. Each and every one of us walks through a period of grief in some time in our life. It's just, it's just the norm because we do live in a fallen world. So, Lord, uh, there's a story and a backstory to each and every life in this room, and I just pray for them is uh, whether it's just learning how to navigate and coming alongside others or facing your own grief at some time in the future or what you're grieving through right now. Lord, I just pray that you would be a source of comfort beyond all expectations. Lord, that uh, you would teach each and every one of us through the process that we go through that truly, um, even if some have shared here, is that They've experienced the depth of pain that allows them to be empathetic to other people's needs and gives them um, a ministry in itself just to come alongside others who are grieving. So, Lord, uh, we just give you all the stories, knowing that you are the God uh, who loves us, and we don't understand all your ways, but we fully trust in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, people. Thanks for sharing.